Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Sermon Archive. Today's sermon, for the 12th Sunday after Trinity, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments about today's sermon, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website, faithlutheran-aflc.org. Now let's join in and hear what God has to say to us today. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the psalm appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Psalm 138, can be found on page 973 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we're going to consider one of those Christian-y type of words that many of us have grown up hearing. And just as is the case with other Christian-y type of words, I think far too often we assume we know what it means without really meditating on its significance. Now, how we got to that point doesn't really matter, at least for our purposes this morning. What does matter is that as we consider the meaning of the word exalt, we move forward with a deeper understanding of what God is communicating to us in his word. And so, at the beginning of the message, I'm going to issue an apology. And this apology is going to last for the entire school year. So just so that you get used to it. This is going to be the byproduct of the reality that I'm teaching a writing class to high school students during our homeschool co-op on Fridays. Because of that, you guys for the next nine months are probably going to get an inordinate amount of grammar lessons. I can't help that. I can't stop it. I just got words on my brain right now, so I'm just apologizing now. So, as I prepare to teach 15, 16, and 17-year-olds how to write and especially how to write papers well, today we're going to be bringing up the subject of the five W's and H. Now, if you know what the five W's and H are, it means you had a really good education growing up. And allow me to toot the horn of the North Dakota public education system in the 90s for teaching that to me. But also because I'm committed to studying the text, and also because I'm a little bit obnoxious, we're going to do the five W's and H out of order. But we're still going to do all of them. Okay? So we're going to turn our eyes back to Psalm 138 this morning, and we'll use those six little words, who, what, when, where, why, and how, to guide our understanding 
of the biblical truth of exaltation. So question number one, what does exalted mean? The Hebrew word in verse number two that we translate exalt means to become strong or great, and it has the idea of establishing, of making firm, of confirming the importance of the person or thing being exalted. It can also mean to magnify, as in to enlarge or to emphasize the importance of. And so, get this idea, the, the, the only thing that I could come in my mind as an object lesson of what this means is if you've ever driven by a car dealership. And at the car dealership, they've got one of those giant balloon somethings to draw attention to themselves. That's kind of the idea of exalting. It's designed to get your, get, get your attention by enlarging the importance of something. And so, so that's fit in your head. The second what we're going to do, you're going to double up on what, is now that we have kind of an idea of what it means to exalt, what is being exalted? And David tells us in verse 2 again, God's name and God's word are being exalted. Now this is important for us to recognize because already in our modern context, we would be tempted to make this an abstract con- uh, concept. We, we sing fairly regularly about God being exalted, but again, we don't really know what we mean. Something about God is important, and we feel pretty good about ourselves for identifying that something about God is important. But it's up to us to figure out and determine and proclaim what exactly about God is so important. But in reality, David here lets us know that God has chosen what needs to be exalted. His name and his word. For God's name to be exalted is for God to establish and emphasize both his covenant name with his people and his reputation. If you go back to Exodus 3.14, we find out what God's name is. I am that I am, or I will be what I will be. And it's a name that God gave to the children of Israel in the Old Testament to mark them as His. Really, the power of God's name is that we, as God's children, know His name. And so we know who He is. And throughout the Old Testament, throughout Scripture, it's a name that God uses to seal His promises to His children as He cares for us and as He provides for us. And so with that, we have this idea that a name, especially in the ancient Middle East, carried the idea of a reputation. In, in the ancient Middle East, in, in, in the time when the Bible was being written, a name told us something about a person. told us something about his family. You remember when John the Baptist was named and, and, and his father Zechariah was mute and they asked, what's the name of this baby going to be? Zechariah writes down his name will be John. And everyone's confused because no one in his family is named John. So we learn a little bit about the family. Sometimes in a name we learn a little bit about the circumstances with which they were born. Moses, his name means to be drawn out of the water and explains the uniqueness of his birth. But sometimes, a name 
means someone's character. It reveals to us about that person's identity. In this case, this is what God's name does for us. The name Yahweh, the way we pronounce that Hebrew word, I am that I am, tells us the most important thing about God is that he's there, that he exists, that we can know him. God, unlike the other gods of the nations around us, is not a fabrication. He's not an invention. He's not merely a good idea or something we aspire to. He is there. And because of that, God's covenant name is the root of all his other titles. God provides. God, the Lord of hosts, the God of armies. Everything God is for us is predicated on the reality that he is there, that he exists, and that he's knowable. And so also, God exalts his word. This too flows from the reality that God exists. We know that God exists not because we earnestly desire him to exist, but because he communicates to us. He's revealed himself to us in his word. No other God does this. No other God does this in the way God does this. But here's where we're going to lay down an important foundation as we continue through Psalm 138. The truth is, God communicates with us, but he communicates with us in specific ways. He communicates with us through his messengers, in his word. He lets us know who he is. He lets us know what he wants us to do. And most importantly, he lets us know what he's done for us. Next question. Where are God's name and God's word exalted? David writes here about looking to God's holy temple. Now, this might be confusing to us and seem like a problem for maybe a couple of reasons. One, if you know a little bit of biblical history, you'll know that the temple didn't exist when David was king. David wanted to build a temple, but God said, no, you're a man of war. I want a man of peace to build my temple. And so David's son Solomon builds the first temple in the Old Testament. Now, this might also be a problem for us because the temple doesn't exist right now. The Romans destroyed it in the middle of the first century, and it was never rebuilt. So what do we do with David looking to God's temple to know that his name and his word have been exalted? Now, without spending too much time wrangling about David looking to the temple that didn't exist, and without jumping through hoops to figure out what that means for Christians right now, the simple answer is that God has given us specific places to look for his presence, to look for his name, to look for his word. For David, this was probably the tabernacle, the place that stood around the Ark of the Covenant on which stood the mercy seat where God revealed his presence. And so the house of God was identified even in its temporary form, even in the days of Samuel and Eli before David. But for us, we're left to ask and to meditate on where has God revealed his presence to us? The primary answer of that question 
is right here and right now in the worship service. Jesus has told us wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is among us. Jesus is here right now. And even more specifically than that, we find God revealing his presence to us in the word and in the sacraments where he has promised to be, where he has promised to be found. Just as importantly for us this morning then, we are not called to look for God where he has not promised to be. We don't get to lay down the claim that I can find God in the fishing boat on Sunday morning instead of going to church. God has not chosen to reveal himself at the end of your walleye jig. That's not where God promises to be. God has not promised to reveal himself in your good intentions and in your sincerity. God has promised to be in a specific place at a specific time. And we, as his church, as his children, want to be there with him. Next, how are God's name and God's word exalted? David gives thanks for God's steadfast love and for his faithfulness. And that is what God chooses to single out about his name and about his word. We are told in God's word that God himself is loving, merciful, and faithful. These are the most, character, the most important characteristics about him that he wants known. And this, along with Everything else separates him from the gods of the other nations. The idols that the other nations worship are fickle and capricious. They need to be bribed so that they would do do good things in return. And probably most importantly, they don't exist. The gods aren't there. But God, our God, is gracious in compassion compassionate, full of mercy, and full of steadfast love. And this is what sets him apart. And so God draws attention to his name and draws attention to his word because there, in those places, we discover, we find out that God indeed is gracious and is compassionate. And we celebrate that. And here is where the hook starts to be set for us. Because when we ask who... David really wants us to ask, for whom? For whom is God's name and God's word exalted? Now we would expect, as would be consistent with all of the other world religions, that God exalts his name for himself. And certainly there is a little bit of that idea because God talks about his own glory and making his own glory known throughout the world. But this doesn't work in the way we think it would. Because, God's, because of God's grace and God's mercy, God's name and God's word are exalted for us. David writes here in Psalm 138, for, through, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. God makes himself known. God reveals himself that we might know him. That we might trust him. Have faith in him depend on him because we need him there's the answer to the next question 
Why are God's name and God's word exalted? They are exalted because we pray to him in our time of need. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. And as we pray to God, as we approach him, as we come to him because he exists, God answers our prayers and meets our needs and provides for him. And we pray also because we find ourselves in trouble and in need of rescuing and protection. And David again here writes, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. Because we are God's children, and because he has made himself known to us, we automatically have enemies. Enemies who are jealous of God's power. Enemies who are jealous that we worship God and not them. Enemies who would want us to stumble and fall away. But beyond that, and most specifically, our own sin and our own sinfulness mean we need to be saved. We need to be delivered. We need to be rescued. And here's what's most interesting. Because when we become aware of our sin, and we become aware of our sinfulness, and we become aware of our need, the reality that Scripture communicates to us is when we are saved, we are saved by God from God. It's God's wrath we are saved from. It's God's anger we are saved from. And it's God who does the saving. And so God's name... And God's word are especially exalted because he has a plan for us. Again, we've got to tread carefully with that because we've heard the phrase, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That not, doesn't necessarily mean at 3 o'clock this afternoon or next Tuesday or a few years down the line. God's wonderful plan He has for you is a plan to save you. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This is where our entire investigation comes together for us. Because at the center of God's name and God's word is Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. God with us. Jesus' actual name, Emmanuel. God not only with us, but God for us. And God not only for us, but God in our place. God's purpose for your life right now, over and above everything and anything else, is that you might be forgiven by God that you might be saved by God, not only from your enemies, but from your own sin and from His wrath. And so God exalts His name and exalts His Word, and He gives you Jesus. But most specifically, He gives you Jesus, lifted high and exalted on a tree, hanging from a cross, on Mount Calvary, so that the whole world might see Him and know Him and believe that in Jesus Christ, there is your salvation. There is your forgiveness. There is your eternity. 
And it's that word that answers the final question. When? When are God's name and God's word exalted? Truthfully, when was on a cross 2,000 years ago as Jesus died and rose again to give you victory over sin and death and the devil. Also, when you came to faith, that very moment when God sent His Holy Spirit into your life to give you that faith, to raise you from death to life, that maybe happened at your baptism as an infant, that maybe happened as you came back to the faith as an adult, or came to the faith for the first time. But at that moment, God's name and God's word were exalted. But finally, and the point here from David in God's word, is that God's name and God's word are exalted forever. For all eternity. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Why is this the case? Because what Jesus has done for us as the Word of God, as God in the flesh, that is binding. That it is finished. It is complete. It is not going away. So the the reality here that elicits our praise is that God is not taking it back. He's never ever going to withdraw your forgiveness or your salvation. He gives it to you freely. It stands true forever. And this is why, this is how, this is when God and His name and His word are exalted. Because God for you and in your place has shed his blood so that you might be saved. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.